you can have that wildly important goal, right? Everybody agrees to it. You can understand the lag and the lead measures, but if your team doesn't know if they have a chance to win, it doesn't matter. If you work for the Catholic Church and want to avoid burnout, overcome team dysfunctions, and put more souls in the pews, we're here to help. I'm Ty Hua here with my co-host, John Cons, and we're providing leadership development for Catholic ministry professionals. Every week, you can expect practical advice to help you move Jesus' mission forward in your parish. Today, we're discussing the four disciplines of execution. Hey, John. Ty, it's good to be with you. I feel a little bit like I got to hide my shame, like a little shame face. The last time we were together, we went golfing <laughs> and you're, you're a real good golfer. And I really let my, my true colors show. I was, I was not having my best game ever. <laughs> you know, humility goes a long way. So that's a good start. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. You know, it's right in line with our faith. There's a lot of parallels of the golf game in life. Arnold Palmer had said that, you know, you get good results from bad shots, but you also get bad results from good shots. So it just, you know, you never know. It's just, you put your best foot forward and you you accept the results that, that come. And I would say even in terms of like our faith life, no matter what shot you just took, wherever you are, all you can do is make the next best decision to move yep. forward. Amen, amen. That'll preach. Hey, that's a real short podcast. I think we count that one. I think we count it. And, you know, <laughs> the next episode, we, we might as well just record now because we got time. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah, like, like you said, today we're talking about the four disciplines of execution, which I'm excited to talk about because I know that this is something you're passionate about. It gets my blood boiling, <laughs> but it also gets me very, very like excited to talk about. And the reason it gets my blood boiling is because not a lot of companies that start this journey actually do it well. And I know that from personal experience. The reason I learned it was because my mentor, also known as my boss, um, introduced it to me because he's like, this is what I want instituted in the sales team that I had taken over. And I thought that, yeah, I I could do this. This is simple. It was not simple. I take that back. It was simple, but it was not easy. The concept of it was very simple. This is what we're going to execute on here. The one to two things that we're going to execute on. And yeah, everybody just do your thing, right? Make sure you do your job and then, our cadence of accountability, we'll check in on each other every week. You would think that would make it very, very <laughs> idiot-proof. But nope, the idiocy comes out within that to make it more intricate and more complex than it should be. So again, mm-hmm. I, I get very excited talking about it, but it also gets my blood boiling because I know a lot of people will be like, yeah, but what about, or how about this? Or did we ever think about this? It's like... There you it's, are. <laughs> it's easy to chase down a red herring in every different direction. And mm-hmm. then, but this is meant to be very clear cut. These are the things we're focusing on. These are the metrics we're using. And it's really straightforward. 
So you had given me this book after hearing you mention it a number of times. I thought I kind of want to read that book because it seems like and I just knowing you personally, you're a very focused individual. And and I've seen not that you weren't before, but I've seen kind of this turning point where it clicked into place. These are the things I need to focus on. And I believe that these four disciplines of execution were a big part of it, reading this book, trying it, like experimenting with it in your own work, and now in your professional life, being self-employed, being able to really dial down and say, no, these are the most important things. So I borrowed the book. I read the first chapter and I thought, we have to talk about this. You know, I'm, I'm excited to read more of the book, but just to kind of give a primer and really encourage our Catholic ministry professionals to give this a shot because it gives... It gives a solid framework, and honestly, as I read it, I thought so much of what I've read already in this book lines up with what we are talking about on the Catholic Ministry Professionals podcast. And so let's dive in, and we're just going to look at each of these four disciplines and how um, potentially how they could be implemented in a parish as a means of getting big things done in the midst of the whirlwind (laughs) that they talk about in the book. The world. Yeah, no, the whirlwind is going to eat you alive. And it typically Mm -hmm. does in any, any professional setting, whether it's Catholic ministry professionals or it's in the secular world. And what I did as a sales manager, the whirlwind will slowly, it's almost like quicksand, right? How many of the listeners that, that know what I'm talking about, when I illustrate this, it's quicksand, right? You you literally say at the end of the day, I was so busy today, but I don't know what I got done. I was so busy today, but I don't know what I got done. That's the whirlwind. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I hear a lot of, I think in the church world, when we talk about being in maintenance mode mm. versus being in mission mode. When we talk about being in maintenance mode, we say, I'm just so busy trying to get through this next weekend, this next round of masses, through this next liturgical season. I don't have time to focus on anything bigger. The way that this book is designed, the way these four disciplines are designed is to say, like, yes, you have to focus on those things. But if you can focus on one more wildly important thing, then you can move that one thing forward. And, and instead of, like you said, okay, well, it works for this one thing. Let's do four more things then and see if it works for four more things. No, instead of trying to do all the things in the midst of the whirlwind, like, yes, manage the whirlwind, but then do this one extra thing. Find time to fit it in. And, and I really, I just like how they laid that out. I, I forget which episode we talked about it, but here's the reason why we need to have the four disciplines. Number one, a discipline makes you do something. Right. It, it, that just is what it is. It makes you do it. So in a previous episode, we talked about the law of diminishing return. And what it essentially says is the more things you focus on, the less you get done. So some wizard out there did a study that what, that said, if you focus on one to two things, you'll get one to two things done. If you focus on three to nine things, you'll get one thing done. And if you actually focus on 10 or more things, you get none of those things done. So would you rather just focus on one or two things to get one or two things done? Or do you want to scatterbrain it, get sucked into the whirlwind, that quicksand of um, that, that whirlwind of not getting anything done? Or let's just f- be disciplined. 
focus on these four disciplines that we're going to talk about to really move our mission forward. What is it that is wildly important, right? Or mm-hmm. our wig. It's our wildly important goal. So, mm-hmm. John, you want to step into the first discipline? Yeah. So this first discipline is to focus on the wildly important. And, and so kind of the big idea is focus. Like you said, not focusing on 10 things, focusing on one thing, this one wildly important goal. And, and this basic idea that the more that you try to do, the less you'll actually accomplish. And so they, they, this, it's as simple as that. Select one extremely important goal and focus on that. And in the parish, I mean, that could be any of a number of things, right? Maybe your parish really needs to increase their weekly parish tithes. So beyond our day-to-day stuff, we as a team are really going to focus on how we increase those tithes. Or maybe there's been a lot of people, There's maybe we're in a community where the Catholic population is in the minority, right? I'm in Northwest Iowa right now. There's a strong Dutch Reformed population around here in pretty much every small town you go around. So all the Catholic churches, maybe that goal is we need to bring more people into our church. Or maybe we need to rebuild a church. Maybe we're maybe we're bursting at the seams because we've been evangelizing like crazy and we need to kick off a capital com- campaign. Maybe that's the most important goal. Or bring in a national speaker to feed our people or revamp all our formation oper- offerings, improve the Sunday experience, whatever it might be. Pick that most important goal, that extremely important goal, and like focus on that. Pretty straightforward. <laughs> well, I was I was gonna interject and just say, but John, all those are super important. <laughs> but well, they, we'll get back to it. <laughs> they are super important. That's right. <laughs> and, and I am gonna lean on you a little bit, Ty, because you've you've read more of the book. I just kind of dove in because I was like, this is so good. I can't wait to share it. <laughs> so the, this focus on the wildly important, like that's that's key. Like that's kind of a starting point. Discipline number two, then, right? To act on your lead measures. And that's something I think might be unusual language. And and it's really leveraging the actions that you're going to take, the behaviors that need to happen within your your team to accomplish the goal. And uh you know, not all actions are 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 equal, so we need to prioritize them. But what they talk about is acting on those lead measures and that's differentiated from lag measures. And Ty, do you, do you want to kind of explain the difference between those two or? Yeah, I, I want to take one step back. So sure. prioritizing those actions are important, but I think what we can do is fall into that analysis paralysis of, okay, let's, let's take a look at those examples that John just talked about increasing weekly parish or the gifts, uh, bringing more people into the parish, kicking off a capital campaign, bring a national speaker you could have bullet points for those bullet points ad nauseum talking about all of those things. It's more important to actually decide on what we're, what we are calling wildly important than it is to sit there and analyze what that is. So I I just want to clarify that and just throw that out there because we can spend six months talking about, okay, well, we got to decide on what our wildly important goal is before we even step into discipline two or three, or even most importantly, the accountability section in discipline four. 
Mm-hmm. So make sure that you actually decide and move forward versus that in between of like, okay, I know we said that was kind of important, but let's revamp, you know, our formation offerings first. That's more important. And then a week later, it's like, no, I think we need to improve the Sunday experience because if we don't, if we don't do better there, then we're not going to have the parish members. And then it's a ruthless cycle of like, all right, can we just make up our minds and just run? Let's run as fast as we can for as long as we can. So the difference between lag and lead measures. Lag measures are really the, the result of what we've already done. Where the lead measures are the actions that we're taking to get those lag measures. Now, the, the biggest difference in that is you can't change the lag measure. You can't influence, excuse me, you cannot influence the lag measure once it is already in front of you, right? Look at profit and loss. You can't look at it and say, man, we had a terrible, you know, Q2 in, in profit and loss. What do we need to do different to change Q2? Well, you can't change it anymore. It's already there. It's already set. It, it's already happened. Now, what we can do is take that and forecast it to Q3 and Q4, depending on the industry. Now, I'm going to have to lean back on you as far as the ministry side, but we can't change Q2. We can only look to influence Q3 and Q4. So that's where the lead measure comes in. So what actions can we take to change what happened in Q2? That's the difference between a lead measure and a leg measure. Yeah, and the way I see that, like really practically looking at the parish, that maybe would apply to every parish. If you want to look at a leg measure, and like you said, in the secular world, often that'd be profit, loss, you know, kind of those metrics like that. I could see a church really naturally looking at how many people are in RCIA, right? How many people do we have coming into our church? Have we evangelized? And you're going to see that in terms of RCIA, new parishioners, the growth of the total parish population. Those are things that maybe most parishes don't pay a ton of attention to, but they really are a leg measure that comes about as a result, right? It legs behind the actions that led to that moment. But lead measures, if we said, no, it's important that we're growing our parish, then your lead measures would be those actions you need to take then so that next year when our CIA comes up, can we see that we've grown? And and so I, I think that's a really natural way. And, and it, in the book, it sounds like there's really trying to draw out, okay, what are the behaviors then that we need to measure now or implement now so that next year those leg measures can be at the goal that we want them to be at. So I could see um, the new, like say we don't have anybody in RCIA and we know, well, that can't be right because, you know, our entire city is 10% Catholic. So there's definitely people we could be bringing into the parish or we're surrounded by people who aren't Catholic. We should be bringing them in. So what are what are some of the, lead measures, what are some of the lead actions, those behaviors that we need to implement so that we can encourage more people to join the RCIA program next year. We can have a thriving program, bringing new people into the parish, bring a little excitement, a little life. Well, maybe it's as simple as introducing or like having our evangelization committee or a welcoming committee or our volunteer training in general and to be entirely focused on teaching them how to relate to people in a way that makes the parish inviting so that they want to come. So there's a, simply smiling when somebody walks up might be a lead measure. Are we paying attention that we're smiling? We're not giving people sourpuss faces. Are we introducing ourselves as people of the parish? 
you know, are, are our volunteers, are our committees, are they well-versed? Do they have a clear understanding of that vision statement? So in the course of natural conversation with people, they can say, yeah, yeah, I do go to this parish. And, you know, we're, we're trying to evangelize people. We're trying to bring people in. We, you know, we're trying to follow Jesus as a family, whatever it might be. So that then you could say, hey, this event's coming up. I'm going to save you a seat. You know, will you come with me? And really being intentional about inviting them. So kind of walking people through these behaviors that are just a natural part of leading to that desired goal. Yeah, I would. I would actually ask you because you're you've you're the one of the two of us that has been in ministry for longer than a catechesis, and not of the Good Shepherd. Um, how much outreach would you say a typical Catholic parish does within its own community? That's uh, a. I mean, that's a great question. I think there are well-intentioned efforts to evangelize that aren't necessarily grounded in the practical process of evangelization. So, for example, the parish I attend right now, um, I I love the parish, and and I think there's a really, again, there's a lot of energy there, but we have this evangelization committee, and they they make this real intentional effort to go to the, um, our, our county fair, and they have a big booth with all kinds of books. They ask people to donate the books, all those things, you know. So there's tons of Matthew Kelly books that get dropped off, and uh, people bring Bibles that they can hand out and rosaries. But I've I've walked through that booth myself and never had anybody, like, stop and say hi. Or the extent of the conversation was, hey, our books are free. Go ahead and take one. Versus what we just went through. Like, nobody came up and said, hey, how's it going? You know, oh, yeah, we're from such and such you know, parish, um, you know, where we're following Jesus. And, hey, you know, here's 10 things that are coming up in this next year. You know, and we we would really love for you to join us. Like, I would love for you to join me. Like, here's a card to the parish. You can get in contact with me, you know, and I'll save you a seat at the next event. Nothing like that. So I think that really practical process of implementing genuine evangelization, genuine efforts to bring people into the fold, sometimes it, it misses the mark. So I, I don't think it happens on a, an intentional corporate level very well. I think there are people who do it well, and a lot. Of, sometimes it's just, you know, there's parishes that have people who are just gifted at that. They've mm-hmm. got that that spiritual gift for evangelization, and it comes out naturally. But I would say corporately as a parish, it's not done well, where people are made a part of that evangelizing team as a natural outflow of their membership in the parish. Yeah, I just feel like there's there's something missing there. Even within the body of the church in inviting somebody or just building a relationship. Right? So much of it is mm-hmm. is so that that relational bond of why you're going to church. Right. I know I wouldn't have found the Catholic Church if my sponsor didn't ask me, Ty, do you want to go to Mass? Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't know anything about it. I just thought it was another worship service because I, at the, that point in my conversion, I'd gone to the, the Baptist service, the Lutheran service, the Methodist service, and quite frankly, that ain't it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, well, that, that wasn't until I got invited to a Catholic Mass and halfway through... You know, that was my same mindset of like, oh, yeah, it's just another service. 
and then something happened, right? The, the, the priest is, and I've said it multiple times, probably on, on the episode too, where it's like, he's saying, this is my body. This is my blood. And it's like, Oh wow, this is different. This is, this is it. Mm -hmm. And, and I would say, I actually think that that's, that's probably not the norm, you know, that, because I don't think most people, if you invite somebody to come with you to mass and they've got no prep, like no background, it's going to seem completely alien, which which can either work for you or against you, but that's going to depend depend on the individual and the relationship that's been formed already. You know, when it when it comes to evangelization and like bringing people into the church, I think we have a couple things that work against us. One, um, we overcomplicate it because it's as simple as an invitation, like you experienced, like hey, I go I went to church. Hey, I'd love to I'd love you to come with me to church. You're looking for something. You seem like you're looking for something. I think it's Jesus. Come with me and let's talk about it. It can be that simple. On the other hand, oftentimes, like the way the church views this evangelization, it becomes so, we can make it sound so complicated that then we never implement it because it's like, it's such a vast topic and you're not ready to evangelize. Yeah. Well, that, well, well that's what I mean. So it's, Yeah. It can be real tough to, to kind of find that avenue and implement it. But I do think there are really practical things that if we, you know, when we follow through on these disciplines of execution, mm-hmm. it then becomes teachable. Yeah. And that's what I mean by the relational side of it is like you, you can't just pull somebody in from the fair to talk about, you know, because it, it, I, I know uh, which group you're talking about. And it, be, it can become it actually points you towards apologetics and defending the faith when you're there. So it's so much better how you put it, like, hey, how's your day? You know, I want to share with you the the upcoming events and just invite you. That, to me, is more important than just saying, hey, here's here's why we're Catholic, right? All those things that I know you probably don't understand or have against the church, I can diffuse it, right? That is such a bold stance. Like, I love it. I love that stuff. But to win souls over and to convince them to, to just give the Catholic Church a chance, that's probably not the way to go. You got to have that relationship there first, and then you start slowly introducing them to this idea like, oh, yeah, he's, he's inviting me to church. Absolutely. So, again, those lead measures are going to gonna depend on what your specific, uh, what your specific wildly important goal is. And uh, and they flow from there. Should we move on to dis- discipline three? Yeah, this is probably the most important discipline, in my opinion. And I feel it's the most important because it keeps us consistent. So if anybody has ever played a game with their sibling, and I, I put this, and if you're an only child, I apologize. I've got a lot of siblings. I had a couple of close brothers that I played a lot of games with. And it was more fun if I knew I had a chance to win. Mm. It was not so fun when the score was like 100 to like three. Then I was taking my ball and I was going home and I was telling mom. (laughs) Right. So keeping a compelling scoreboard engages. This is the engagement discipline. So people play differently when they're keeping score, especially when they know they have a chance to win. So I, I want our listeners to understand you can have that wildly important goal, right? Everybody agrees to it. You can understand the lag and the lead measures. But if 
your team doesn't know if they have a chance to win, it doesn't matter. They have no idea where this is going. And all of a sudden what people will notice is that it becomes part of the whirlwind. It becomes that quicksand that is slowly just dragging you deeper and deeper into your day job of ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I got to be honest, as I was preparing for this episode, uh, Discipline 3 here, right? Keep a compelling scorecard. I understand the importance of it. I had a little more trouble event, like imagining how, visualizing how this fit into the parish setting because it's, again, it's not about the numbers, right? But I, I think the most obvious option, and, and I kind of am running with this idea of evangelizing people, bringing people into the parish, you know, growing the parish. Uh, the most obvious one that stands out to me is like, it, you know how anytime... Anytime you go to the doctor's office or the dentist or you sign up for a service online, one of the final questions they're going to ask or someone or they're going to have this line that says, who can we thank for your referral, right? Or how did you hear about us? And so just like if you had that question as just kind of a standard on your, your intake forms or meetings that you have with, you know, formation or whatever, um, different group interest meetings to just say, hey, why are why are you here? Who told you about this? And to be able to kind of keep a running scorecard of who in this parish is evangelizing people or who on the team is bringing the most people in in new ways. And, and I think that, that that could literally, you know, it could, it could be on your sign-up sheet or anything, but that could be a really fun scorecard because it says, hey, you know, we're out there. We're actually telling people the message of the gospel. We're not just waiting for them to come to us we're not just preaching to the choir, but I can look at this scorecard and go like, Lord, I really am trying to disciple all nations, make disciples of all nations in my community, right? But I could see that being kind of a fun scorecard to keep. But it but it is a little harder to event like it is a little harder to visualize how this one fits in the parish setting. But I think if you had a team of people trying to figure out what that scorecard looks like mm-hmm. and what what these important things are, that you could come up with an engaging way for them to enter into the process of reaching this goal together. Well, that's just the thing. So when we say it's the discipline of engagement, it's not just so much that we're going to give them the scoreboard and say, hey, look, you're doing great things. It's also engaging in the way they keep and create the score card or scoreboard. Um, the, the people within the, your parish assist in creating that scoreboard, right? They are telling you, hey, here's what I want to track. This is how I know I'm winning, right? Even if it's to the point where it's like you're, um, you know, if you're decorating the scoreboard, mm-hmm. your team you know, has I, to has to be engaged in it, or, or else it becomes this. Well, I'm I'm only here because my boss said I had to be here. I'm only here because the priest made it mandatory that I needed to be here. That and that's not engaging. If anything, that is counterproductive and toxic to the culture. Yeah, and you know what just popped into my head while you were saying that? I saw this done really well at, um, it was uh, Give Central is one of those online giving platforms that a lot of churches use, a lot of non um, not-for-profits use. But they did this demo for us, and they showed us how you could really project on on a screen in front of the entire group. And if you were trying to raise money for an event, people could essentially log into that event, and they could give like 10 bucks or whatever. 
And so you could literally see, watch that number march up. You could see who was giving that amount. So there's amount of pride in it for people. It got a lot of buy-in. Um, but then, you know, the, the Smiths could see that, oh, the Johnsons, like our neighbors, they just gave $500. Well, we'll get 505. Let's, let's just <laughs> see what happens, you know? <laughs> and it allows people to engage, to see that scorecard. They get to see how they're building towards that goal. They get kind of the accolade of other people saw they give, but it drives a normal, like kind of a healthy competition. So that's one little way, even in the context of an event that you need to make very successful, how even these disciplines, they don't, they can be the big goals for the entire parish, but say you apply it to one event that you just need to make bigger. Okay, what does it look like for us to do this in the context of those? But that, you know, something along those lines becomes a really powerful way to keep score to drive that engagement. Yeah, and so that engagement piece is super critical in discipline four. So in discipline four, we're, we're creating this cadence of accountability. This is the ca- accountability discipline. So you have your non-negotiable meetings where everybody shows up and they have to have done what they had agreed to last week, right? So in the book, it recommends at least um, at a minimum, you're meeting once a week. So they're essentially saying, here's, here's what I'm going to do next week. And then next week when you show up, you say, here's what I said I was going to do. Here's what I did. And here's what I plan to do next week. So if you knocked it out of the park, I said I was going to do X. I did X. And next week, I'm not changing anything because that is going to move our mission forward. Well, I'm going to keep doing it. Or adversely, it could just be, yeah, I, I dropped the ball. Like, I didn't do it. And that sucks if anybody has ever been in any organized sport right think football soccer wrestling whatever if you show up and you look at your teammates in the face and you know you screwed up royally if you own up to it they're gonna be like yeah that sucks like hopefully you can do better next time Go say your act of contrition or whatever and show up next <laughs> week and do better. That's better than just saying, ah, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Oh, well, next week I'll, I'll try to do better. It's like, no, you are humbly confessing to your peers. Yeah, I screwed up. I said I was going to do this. I didn't do it. And I'm going to do better. And this is where it becomes super important. And I'm kind of going off script here. But it's super important because when your peers hold you accountable or you are trying to hold your peers accountable, it's better than the pastor saying it. It's better than your boss saying it. It's better than anybody that is in that leadership role by title saying it. If your peer is saying, hey, okay, I know you said you didn't do it, but can you help me understand what stopped you from doing it? Maybe we could help it help you out. Maybe we could flesh out that obstacle that held you from the commitment you made to the team. No, I just didn't do it. Okay, well, now we could talk about that. We need mm-hmm. you to actually do this so that we could hit our wildly important goal. Yeah, when I I would think that would even be that that should help our pastors take a deep breath here because you don't have to do it all yourself. Right? And actually it and it's at, in the beginning of this discipline, 
one of the things that's important that they state is that the team members are creating their own commitments. So you don't even have to establish the commitments. You're asking them to be a part of this in a very active way by simply asking, what does this look like? How are you going to keep yourself accountable? So you're not setting the commitments. And if you have the rest of the team is buying into this and they're holding each other accountable, you don't even have to chew people out. I will say, though, what this what this can do is if you've got people on the team who are obviously not on board with evangelizing souls who are very intentionally not trying to grow this goal, that tells you something very important about that team member. And it also gives you that content that you need for that eventual crucial conversation that you might have to have with them in which you need to discuss whether or not they're going to continue to be a part of the team. Because if you can consistently have that conversation, if you consistently have that conversation where they're admitting they're not doing the things, uh, there needs to be a real conversation. So it becomes a really useful rubric, a really, really useful opportunity to flesh out the team by engagement, but then also discern the continued involvement of team members. Yep. Accountability. So those those are those are the four disciplines of execution, and I just think they're awesome. I would I'm gonna put a link to the book in the show notes, and I really encourage you to get them. But again, though, just to rehash, uh, discipline one: focus on the wildly important. Discipline two: act on the lead measures. Really leverage those things that are gonna move you towards that goal. Discipline three: keep a compelling scorecard to get really drive engagement among your team. And then discipline four is to create a cadence of accountability so that there is a moment every week where we have to look ourselves in the face, look our team in the face and say, I followed through or I failed you. And those are the four disciplines of execution. Yep. Here's one cautionary advice. It's one thing to know the four disciplines, but it's also from a leadership perspective another thing to implement those four disciplines because here's what you will find when you try to implement it with a team that is not used to accountability which is not used to actually achieving goals they're gonna fight you they will put more energy into not doing it than to actually do it which takes less energy so here's what i would advise is to learn it study it and then just commit to it. Commit until they actually take part. Because they will. And if they don't, like you said, that is opportunity for a crucial conversation. So it's one thing to learn about it, but it's another thing to learn how to implement it. Which, that could be a whole nother episode. It could be part two. Another podcast. Could, could be. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Stay tuned next week to find out. <laughs> and with that, let's move on to the devil's end. <laughs> you know, John, all this talking about lead measures and lag measures, it just, I'm in ministry. It's not, it's, it's not all about the numbers. Mm. What say you? <laughs> I have so much to say, man. I agree. It's not all about the numbers. And yet, that one soul does matter. And that soul is a number. 
All right, Psalm 139. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I stand. You understand my thoughts from afar. My journeys and my rest you scrutinize with with all my ways you are familiar. And even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know the whole of it. This speaks to the, the intimate desire, just the pure love that God has for us, the, the intimate knowledge he has for us, the intense focus he has on each individual soul in your parish boundaries. And you have an obligation to the God who loves that soul to try and reach that one. If that one soul matters that much to God that he has, that I that is just laser focused on them, that care that is just overwhelming, that interest that knows every single detail and everything about them. If that one soul matters so much, then so do the others. And if they matter, then we need to be intentional about reaching them with Jesus's message of salvation, with God's message of love, his invitation into eternal life with him. We need to reach them with that, and we need to do it intentionally. We can't do it on accident anymore. We have to do better. Amen? Amen. So as always, we never want to leave you without something that you can do today to move this conversation forward. Today's actionable step is to just sit down with these four disciplines and figure out what they might look like in your parish. So if you're not in the position to influence the entire team, that's possible. Maybe you can do it for your specific ministry. I would even hazard to say, like, you could, maybe something else is out of balance in your life. Maybe your home life, your relationship with your your spouse is off kilter. It's out of whack. Maybe your family balance, your kids are just running amok. Maybe it's something you need to apply there first and really live it out and enjoy the fruit and, and figure out how it works. But what are those four disciplines going to look like in that area for you. Number one, what is the most, what is the wildly important goal that you can focus on? What are the lead measures that matter? Right? How can you keep a compelling scorecard to drive that engagement in that group? And then what's going to be the cadence of accountability to make sure these things are actually moving forward and happening? So take those four disciplines and just start thinking about what that looks like. And again, what is that wildly important goal? It's got to start there and really hash that out. Laser focus. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Ministry Professionals Podcast. If you found today's show helpful, please immediately text it to your pastor and a friend in Catholic ministry so others can find out about the show and begin transforming their parish through their work. And we need your feedback. Just submit an honest review on your podcast app or email us at catholicmenpros at gmail.com. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or at catholicministryprofessionals.com. And with that, we'll see you in the vineyard.